So, uh, we've been doing this series called Hello, My Name Is. And um, in this series, we've been trying to introduce Thrive Church by, I guess, identifying the, those ideas and realities that we as a church must take seriously. And so, let me, let me just give you a brief little recap. In the first week, um, we talked about the context. We said, hello, my name is The Church, and we're just talking about the church universal, the church uh, in the United States. And, and the, the context, or as my dad would say, the soup that we're in. I'm not sure I want to go swimming in soup, but that's one of the things he said. This is the soup that we're in. And, and, and I think over the last probably 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the church in America has lost much of its influence. And frankly, it has kind of a PR problem, a public relations problem. And the, the studies that have been done indicate that people who are not normally part of the church are very aware of all the things that the church is against. But really have no idea what the church is for. And that just seems tragic to me because there are a lot of things that we're for that are, are very, very good things. And the younger generation is leading the church. And, and uh, I come across people all the time who, for whatever reason, you know, walked away from church. They either burned by or burned out or are just feeling burned, you know? And, and they want nothing to do with it. And that's just part of the context that we live in. And by the way, if you didn't know it already, Tulsa, Oklahoma is the buckle of the Bible Belt. And that's all part of our reality, too, as much here as it is anywhere else in the country. Then um, a couple weeks ago, uh, week number two, we said, hello, my name is Jesus. Um, because... Well, there's a variety of reasons why, why we, we talked about this, but the fact of the matter is, is Jesus brought good news. Good news. And sometimes I, for, I think we forget that it, it is good news. It's the reason uh, why we gather. Our conviction as a church is that we thrive when we follow Jesus. That he's come to give us life and give it abundantly. And that's what he said. And, and we want to take Jesus as seriously as we take the context. In fact, because of the context, I think we need to take Jesus seriously. Amen? I mean, I don't know how you get around that one. Because Jesus is good news. And then so last week, um, we talked about what our role is. Uh, that we have this part to play. And, I, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while. And I've had plenty of, of theological studies and read lots of books and you know, all that. And I, I still shake my head and go, I don't understand why God chooses to use human beings. But he does. It's not like he needs us, but he chooses to partner with us to accomplish whatever it is that he's trying to do in the world. And I think we need to take that seriously, that he moves through human effort. Um, Jesus even said to us um, that we were the salt that preserves against decay. And he says that we're also light, which pushes back the darkness. Those two things, I think, are absolutely crucial if we're to be the kind of church that God desires for us. You know, it's just simply saying, this is our reality. Jesus is still good news, and we have a part to play in. Does that make sense? And so today, I want to introduce Thrive Church, you know, who we are as, as an actual church. And to do that, we're going to turn... Um, to a, uh, a letter. Now, if you'll uh, recall, and I've been saying this all along, this isn't a book, this is actually a library. And in this library, we have a series of letters written by various people um, to various churches. And we're going to be talking about um, a letter written to 
to uh, a church that was uh, created in the city of Corinth in Greece. It's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. So if you open your Bible about mm, three quarters of the way or so, you're going to come across this letter um, to the 1 Corinthians. It was written by a man named Paul. I'm trying to find it, either um, punching it into your phone or, or if you're old school like me, actually use the Bible. Um, now, the thing that I, I want to tell you is that Paul is this kind of this early missionary, and he went throughout the entire Mediterranean world taking the good news of Jesus and telling other people about it and setting up churches in these various cities throughout the Mediterranean. He was really, really good at it. And so there's lots of different churches that he helped found in and around the Mediterranean world, one of which is in the city called Corinth in Greece. Now, here's what he would do. He would set this church up and he would uh, appoint some leaders over it, and then he would go set up another church. So his, his giftedness, his abilities, weren't necessarily in the administration of the church, but he was really good at setting up the churches. Tracking with me? And so what he would do is he would then send pastors and leaders to those churches to help get them up and running and to teach them, and then he would send them letters. And those letters would be uh, filled with instruction, sometimes correction, lots of encouragement for them, and, and some of them are preserved for us, praise God, because then we can read the kinds of things that were going on then. And here's the amazing part. A lot of the things that happened 2,000 years ago in those churches tend to repeat themselves in the church today. There's some things that just never change, and, and so that's why those words are so important to us. Now, Corinth itself was an incredibly cosmopolitan, very diverse city because it sat at the crossroads of several um, main trade routes in the ancient Roman world. So you had sailors and caravans and travelers and commerce and all kinds of things happening here. So there's a lot of diversity in the city. And frankly, because of the diversity, there's more than a few issues a lot of issues that were going on in that church. And so Paul wrote, um, we know more than two letters, but we have two letters you know, preserved, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so now you kind of are oriented to, to this letter a little bit. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 12. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, certain sections of this, and I'm going to stop and make some comment about it, okay? So let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning with verse 12. I'll read the first couple of verses. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Okay, let me stop right there. Because what Paul is ultimately saying to us, it doesn't matter what your lineage is, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are, we are one unit. And this oneness is actually repeated throughout this passage. You're going to see that in a minute. Now, let me make a, a quick point. So he uses this term called the body, just as the body. There you see, he uses it a, a whole lot. Now, the Greek word, because this was originally written in another language called Greek, is soma. Let me hear you say the word soma. Yeah, okay, so hey, what did you learn at church today? I learned how to say body in Greek. Now, what's interesting about this is that the word soma, are you ready for this? Here's what it means. Ready? It means, it means body. Body. 
It means the flesh and blood that we all have. Now, here's the thing that Paul is trying to communicate. I'm not trying to um, you know, do a fast one on here. But what Paul is saying um, to them is he's trying to use a metaphor that everyone understands. You can kind of sit in here going, okay, okay, you got a body, don't you? You got a body, go ahead, touch your body, kind of thing. And he's saying, this is what your body is. If you understand body, then you understand what Jesus is about. Okay? He's trying to make the, the metaphor as simple as he possibly can make it. There's no multi-level meaning here. It just means it's the body. And so he uses the very common phrase for, for body. All right? So keep that in mind as we keep reading. Let's go on to verse 14. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand... I do not belong to the body. It would not, uh, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's, let's hit the pause button again. What perspective is Paul writing from here? What, 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 what point of view is he, is he taking? Well, he's taking the actual part of the body. He's actually writing from the, from the position of the hand, or the foot, or the ear, or the eye. He's writing about the actual part. Isn't Da Vinci great? <laughs> really cool. But he's talking about the individual parts of the body. He's not necessarily talking about the body as a whole. Now, one of the things that I think that he's saying here is that if you are a part of the body, and you are, you can't necessarily self-select yourself as either being part of the church or part of the body of Christ or not. You just are. You are part of that if you're a follower of Jesus. And, and I see this kind of working itself out in a couple of different ways. See if one of these um, uh, resonates with you just a little bit. Uh, oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody <clears throat> um, who may have not been part of the church for a long period of time, and they'll say something to me like, um, yeah, I'm just kind of messed up, and when I, when I get those things straight around, then I'll come to church. Look, man, if you understood how messed up the people are in church, you would have no problem showing up. <laughs> because you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get cleaned up before you come to church. You go to church to get your life straight around. That's the whole point. Does that make sense? And I, I, feel, I feel bad for, for people who think that they've got to, I'll tell you the story. Some of you heard me tell this one before, but I was a part of a church up in Wisconsin, and uh, we had a workman who was in our, in our building, and he was, doing, he was doing something with the, the HVAC system, which is really important that you have heat in Wisconsin in the middle of wintertime. I'm just going to tell you that up front. It's kind of like air conditioning in the summertime here in Oklahoma. And he walked in, and he's looking around. He's got a funny look at his face, and he goes, Place is this anyway? I laughed. I said, Well, it's church. We're meeting in some kind of office building, basically. He goes, A church? It can't be a church. I said, Why not? He said, Because my feet did 
start on fire when I worked in the in the when I walked in the door. And I said, sir, to be honest with you, the fact that I walked in the door and the roof didn't fall on top of us probably means you're going to be okay. <laughs> right? And it's just that notion that I got to be all straight before I walk into the church. No, you're missing the point. The reason why we gather together is because we're all going to be actually honest for a change. I'm just as screwed up as you are, and I need Jesus. I need somebody to help me with that. And so is every person here. We're part of the body. Because we're either messed up or, or on our way to not being messed up, whatever it happens to be for you, you're still part of the body if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, the other place that this works out that I see this is that people who have been inside the church for a long time, they'll say things like, well, I can't teach, or I can't sing, or I can't um, pray like sister so-and-so prays. Okay? Therefore, I, I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I can be part of that. And, and I, 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 I understand where that comes from. But, but we, we have to get ourselves um, attuned to this idea that there are different kinds of ministry in the church. There are different parts of the body that all have different functions. Some of those are public. And some of those are behind the scenes. But none of them are, are, are more important than the other. They're all necessary. Be honest, you've got some parts of your body that you don't use very often. But they're still important when you actually need them, right? Like if you haven't exercised that muscle for, for a while, and you go out and mow your lawn, or you go do some digging in the garden or something, you wake up the next morning and go, oh, I forgot I had that part. Mm -hmm. Pretty important when you need it. And we all have those parts of our body. The same is true inside of the church, okay? There are certain ministries that are more public than and there are some that are more behind the scenes. Now, um, my wife and I have had this conversation for years because ever since we've been married, 20 plus years, that um, we've been together, I've had always kind of public sorts of ministry. I started by running a drama ministry at a large church in Michigan. That's how I got you know, into this gig. And she's always done things behind the scenes. But the thing that we finally came to the conclusion of several years ago was the fact that I can't do the thing that I do because she doesn't do the thing that she does. I, I, why? Because you don't want me doing behind the scenes stuff. Ask any one of our staff. There are just things that David should not be doing. Like if you want me to plan an event, I'll guarantee you we're gonna forget something important, like forks or food. <laughs> okay? Because I'll be thinking about everything else and I won't be thinking about that piece. And, and there are people who are behind the scenes and they look at those folks in the public and, and they think, okay, why can't you think about that? And it's like, well, that's because I'm a different part of the body than you are. But we need each other in order to make this thing go and track it. This is huge for us to understand. And what Paul is trying to say is, look, we have to have both of those things in play in order, in order for us to be the body of Christ, to be the church. And I think we have to be very careful about the things that we unintentionally elevate over the others. Because I think what happens is we see the people who are um, more public and types of ministry and we think that they're more important than they're not. There are dozens of things that happen here on Sunday. I'm going to tell you, the, the, the pipe and drape that you see here doesn't go up by itself. 
there are people who do this that we desperately need them to do in order that we have an environment that we can actually do this. Same thing in, in uh, children's ministry. And things that go on back there need people to do that. So part of the challenge here, I think, for every one of us is to figure out what your role is, what your function is inside the body. Now, there's a couple ways you can do that. First of all, you ought to pray about it. Secondly, you ought to experiment with some things. And third, ask um, you know, the, the church to kind of help you do that because we can. We can actually help you do that. If nothing more, we'll give you opportunities to experiment because there are plenty of things to do around here that we need, need some help with. that. So let's keep reading here because Paul now changes his point of view. So let's pick this up at verse 21. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Especially if you got something in your eye. Did you notice that? Kind of use your hand. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Especially if the head wants to go somewhere. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Hmm, what are you talking about? While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern, loveless, for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If you've had chronic pain, you know it can be debilitating, right? If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So what perspective is, is he taking now? He was, he was originally talking about a part of the body, but now he's talking about the body as a whole. He's looking at you know, the big picture of the, of the body itself, or the collective body. And the body cannot discriminate against different parts of the body. Be why? Because there's an interdependent relationship. Those parts of the body need each other. Like I said, if you get something in your eye, you need your hand to get it out. So think in terms of this idea of public and behind the scenes. There is that interdependent relationship. One cannot necessarily exist without the other. And by the way, in a church plant, <laughs> let me just tell you right now, it's all hands on deck. Um, the, there are roles that we fill out of need, and there's roles that we fill out of giftedness. Now, obviously, we want to get to a point where everyone's operating within their giftedness. Why? Because it's exciting. It's fun. And we want to do that. But there are some jobs that just need to kind of, kind of happen here. And um, we've got to be on the lookout for people who can do the things that, you know, maybe we're not so good at. We talk about um, in our leadership is we try to try to find ways to replace ourselves. We need to find a person who can do that particular job better. Now, let me give you a great example of this. And this is just my experience. You may have another one, or you may talk to one of the other um, people around here, and I'll give you a different example. But um, I've got a couple of roles um, here. Number one, my number one job here is, is I protect the vision of this church. Number two is I resist complexity, um, because complexity will kill us quick. I want to make sure that we keep things simple. And number three, is that um, I feel like my job is to get obstacles out of out of the way of other people so that they can go and be the kind of, uh, of uh, Christian that God wants them to be. 
And so I have that bad role as a leader, but I'm also the, um, the uh, default theologian, and I'm the teacher. I'm responsible for those things, okay? And those are in my gift mix, and I like doing those things, specifically the teaching part. I really like doing that. But you know what? Most Sundays, I'm the guy setting up the signs outside. Because it needs to be done. We got to let people know that we're here. Um, between myself and Pastor Tim, we're the ones who are, you know, pounding in the stakes and putting up the flags and that, that kind of thing. So by the way, if you want something to do on Sunday morning, you've got some signs that need to go up. We need to check with you about that. But, but you see what I'm saying? The point is, is that if we don't let people know that we're here, then, then, then we're missing the opportunity to connect with them, which is why we're here. So it doesn't matter how well I preach or how well Dan sings or leads his team or how well we do children's ministry or how we connect with people. We have to have both those things. Are you tracking with me that this body thing's pretty doggone important? We have to have um, all of those elements in order to, to, to be this, the, this church. So verse 27, let's, let's finish this up because I think this is, this is fascinating. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So I'm using this metaphor of the body, Paul says, and so that you don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, you, church gathered in Corinth, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We have to be careful because there's a, a danger that presumes, um, or I presume that everybody can do the same thing that I do. There's also the opposite danger that if I don't like to do it, then nobody likes doing it. Good example of this. I'm not a big fan of accounting. But there are people who are big fans of accounting. Just because I don't like to do accounting doesn't mean that my business doesn't mind doing accounting. And I know he loves doing accounting because I've talked to him about it, right? The, the point is, is that we have to be very careful that we don't get so focused on our own gifts that we forget that there are other gifts that we need too. And just because I don't like doing it isn't just carte blanche, nobody else likes to do it either. Does that make sense? We have to keep in mind that there's this one unit. Um, and again, we all have to be, um, feel needed to be healthy, but I think it's, it's crucial that as a church, we see everyone's value to the overall body. We just have to get there and see that as, a, as an overall unit. Now, that doesn't mean that we get it right every time, okay? Sometimes, you know, things are just going along and we, we, we forget about that. But the one thing that you, you can't miss throughout this passage, and I think, is this idea of unity. That as a body, we're supposed to be unified. In fact, Jesus, before he went on to his um, crucifixion, before he was arrested, he was spending time with his men. It's in John chapter 17. And one of the things that he prayed for, for not only his disciples at the time, but for those of us who had come after, he said, God, I just pray that you one. It's unity. He's praying that that we would be unified. And I just find that kind of interesting. That is a foundational thought within the Church of God. Um, this, uh, this organization that we belong with um, called the Church of God Reformation. Our founders believed that if we all pursued Jesus, 
that we could get over our differences and actually work together. Which is a phenomenal thought, and I think that it's easy for us to just dismiss it as idealistic. Really? Paul didn't seem to think so. Paul seemed to think that, yes, we could all join in this thing together and see each other's value and be the church that, that God wants us to be, to be the body that, that he wants us to be. And I think that this is really the key to all of this, this idea of, of unity. Because this thing only works if we are all moving in the same direction, if we're pursuing the same thing, if we're holding the same vision. And for, for our church, when we started this, um, the one thing that we wanted to make sure that we, we did was to make disciples. Because in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching all the things that I have to do. I'll be with you at the end of the age. He says that very clearly. Go make disciples. It's an important piece of this. And we said, you know what? As a church, we want to take that part seriously. And so for us, that has a couple of different components. The first one is, is that we're actually introducing people to Jesus. People who don't know Jesus, we're actually introducing them to Jesus and helping them make the transition from, from not following Jesus to actually following Jesus. Okay? Makes sense. But there's another side to it. And the other side goes like this, is that not only are we introducing new people to it, but we're actually becoming better disciples ourselves. Because you know what? It's not like you make the cross, now I'm the disciple, and <laughs> now there's a whole lot more that I have to journey. I don't care how long you've been doing this. Everybody has another step to take with Jesus. Everybody. You could have been a Christian most of your life, and you could be in the, the twilight years of your life. Guess what? Jesus still got more for you to do. By the way, there's no retirement plan listed in the Bible, okay? It really is about following Jesus every single day and taking another step. And so it's not just introducing people and helping them become disciples and being better ourselves. And by the way, can I just caution you? That is a messy process. I've been doing this for a while, and it's messy. I would really like to say that, you know, we took a chart and, I, and I, my discipleship went, you know, up and to the right every single time. Ah, I'm all over the place. How about you? I'm learning things. i got to go back and relearn things I thought I learned 10 years ago. It drives me crazy. But the point is, is that God is bringing me to a new level of discipleship, a new level of maturity and growth. At least I hope so. But if we commit ourselves to allowing Jesus to challenge us and to shape us, that's moving in that, in that direction. And the phrase that we like to, to use around here is, come as you are. Oh my gosh, come as you are. Don't stay that way. Be the person that God has, has created you ultimately to be. And the only way to do that is to be on the journey with him. So come as you are, but don't stay that way. And we tie this to three ideas, three simple ideas. And you've, heard, you've probably heard this before. You'll hear it again because the more we look into the scripture, the more that we you know, kind of think about it and meditate on it, the more that we read some of the, the ancient um, Christian writers, the more that we look at our own experience, there's three things, I think, that help us to be disciples. It's worship, grow, and serve. If I worship my Father passionately, that is assigning the right value to Him. I'm trying to make Him an integral part of my life. That's worship. But I also need to intentionally grow. 
I've got to be willing to be shaped and challenged by what his spirit wants from me. And I need to regularly serve others. Why? Because I'm really good at serving myself. And I'll guarantee you that if we don't serve others, selfishness will push out worship, will push out growth. Grow. Does that make sense? If you regularly engage in these three areas, it sets you on a trajectory towards Jesus. And that's ultimately what you want to have. Your discipleship becomes part of your, your actual life. Now, let me just kind of conclude by saying this. We've gone through these last four, four, four weeks and in introducing Broad Church. I don't think it's a coincidence that God brought this group of people together to be a body. I don't believe it. I believe that he is putting together a body that is Broad Church. And I think that he brought us together to do something not just to snuggle and struggle, but rather, he wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to actually do something with this fact, to be this outpost of the kingdom, to be a place where we offer people hope and healing and forgiveness and belonging and purpose. My question is to all of us, including myself, can we be that church? Can we be the church that looks at the culture around us and take it seriously and say, something's wrong? If, if you don't look at your news or your Facebook feed and don't realize that something's wrong, maybe we ought to have a chat about that. But I think you probably know that already. The things that are going on that are just off. We need to be aware of, of that culture. But can we also be of the kind of church where Jesus is central, where Jesus is still good news. That Jesus actually helps us to, to, to be different, to change, and to affect the people around us. Can we be that church? Can we be a church where we are actually salt and light, where we are, are preserving against the decay that seems to be going on around us? And can we push back the darkness? And I don't mean just the darkness in the world. I mean the one that happens in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family, or dare I say, in your own heart. Can we be that church that pushes that kind of darkness away? Can we be that church where we're committed to joining God and rescuing the world one disciple at a time?